Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to the Females Podcast, Summer School Edition. This season, we're heading back to school, career school that is, with experts here to teach us the ins and outs of specific topics. Today's teacher is Christine Hassler, a life coach, author, and speaker that you might remember from season one, episode nine, where she shared how she broke through to the other side of her dramatic quarter life crisis. Don't worry, I included that episode in the show notes so it's easy to find. And one thing we didn't cover on that episode was how to cure comparison traps and silence our inner critic which Christine had mentioned that she could help cure. So naturally, we had a lot of listeners write in requesting that Christine come back on the show to talk about this. We're thrilled that she's here to help with those exact topics. And because we're here for that real talk advice, be sure to stick around till after Christine's teachable moment, because we'll be answering your listener questions, starting with what to do when you're job searching from a different state. You can submit your career questions to us to answer on future episodes by leaving us a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. And now, this is the Females Summer School Edition. Hi, Christine. Thanks for joining us again. I know you were here on Season 1, and I just want to jump right into it because I want to start by admitting that my own relationship with comparison is, is kind of complicated, so I'm really excited to get your advice for overcoming it. So let's start with why do so many of us fall victim to the comparison trap and what's step one for actually overcoming or even curing it? Oh my goodness. We really do fall into this trap quite a bit. And I think in the age of social media, it's just gotten even worse. And a big reason why we all do that is because we sort of like assess how we're doing in the world based on how we think other people are doing in the world. Yeah. (laughs) Rather than really listening to our own intuition. Um, so I think the first step out of it is to accept it and not judge yourself for it. Because if you're already feeling miserable because you're comparing yourself to people and then you criticize yourself for comparing yourself to people and then feel bad because you criticize (laughs) yourself, like that's just going to drive you further into trap. So first observe, accept, wow, there I am comparing myself to someone. Okay. I'm just going to accept this. Then just take a deep breath and acknowledge yourself for being willing to look at it. And then ask yourself how can I actually use this comparison to my advantage rather than using it to make myself feel like a piece of crap, basically? Right. So before I go into more of the steps, let me 
just explain what comparison or jealousy actually is. So when we are comparing ourselves to someone else, what we're seeing is unowned or unrecognized qualities about ourselves that we're not fully stepping into. And so what that could look like is if you are comparing yourself to someone else who got the promotion at work, what you're seeing in that person is they're successful, they're courageous, they go for it, other people like them, maybe a few other things. And so what you're really seeing is those qualities and those are qualities you're not recognizing inside yourself. And so it feels upsetting because we think that, oh, wow, this other person is so much better than me. But actually what is happening when we feel jealous of someone is that person is showing us qualities we're not recognizing in ourselves. So we can use comparison to our advantage and go, wow, how can I lean more into how I'm successful? How can I speak up more in meetings? How can I approach people and be a little bit more maybe vulnerable or social or be a little bit more proactive? So instead of making ourselves wrong, we can actually really turn it into a learning experience. Interesting. What about if it's like when you do the comparison? So let me use like money as a comparison. Like Mm -hmm. what if it's like, wow, my friend makes $150,000 a year and I make $50,000. Like, you know, it's not like I can see that quality in me. Like they do actually make more money than me. And I feel envious of that, for example. Like, how do you deal with that? Well, it's kind of like, why do they make more money? What's their money story versus your money story? You know, people that generally make more money have a different money story in terms of the jobs that they go after, the career paths they go after, the raises they negotiate, and and how they relate to it. And here's the thing. If, like, you really didn't care about money and you wanted to work for a nonprofit because, like, it's just what you're here to do on this earth, you wouldn't be triggered by your friend that's making more money. Right. If you're triggered by it, there's something there. There's something for you to learn. There's something for you to heal. If you're not triggered by it, then you're just happy for it. And you're like, no, this is my work. This is what I'm doing. I'm happy with $50,000 a year because I'm on purpose. I don't want to work 14-hour days to make what you're making. So that's that's different. That's discernment. But if it bothers you, then there's something to look at. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, I like that storyline just because I do think that, you know, from the first answer you gave, like someone might be like, no, no, no. It's not that I'm just jealous. Like this person really ha- does have it better than me. But I think that's really great because it's like, well, there's being on purpose and then there's being able to discern like why you feel that way, which is totally like important parts of this process. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And whenever, whenever there's a charge, whenever we are comparing or we feel jealous and we don't just feel happy, we're not like, oh, you do you, I do me, we're all good. There's something for us to learn. Mm-hmm. And that that's why we get triggered that by comparison is because it's, it's, it's a growth opportunity. It's a learning opportunity. It's a way for us to look at, all right, what's blocking us. Mm-hmm. If we're jealous or we're comparing ourselves and we want what that person has, what's stopping us from going after it if we really want it? Is it a self-worth thing? Is it an old limiting belief? Is it that we're scared to speak up more, really ask for what we want? Like what's really holding us back? Interesting. How would you determine which of those things is holding you back? Well, it's different for everybody. And this is where personal growth work and the work that I'm so passionate about doing comes in handy Mm -hmm. because it's not a one size fits all approach. You know, if you, so for me, I'll give a personal story and maybe that will help. I'd always been jealous of girls that had a lot of friends, like girls like that were in the clique or the cool club. And I can remember when I first started in the personal growth world, there were this group of women in New York and they were all kind of in it. And I was like, not, I felt on the outside. Right. And I'd see them hanging out and I'd see them sharing each other's stuff. And I'd be like, 
oh, I, why don't they ever invite me? And I'm, I'm not in the club and I'm over here and I'm doing all this stuff on my own. And why don't I fit in? I just went into comparison and jealousy. Well, the opportunity was for me to heal some of the stuff from my like elementary and middle school experience where girls teased me and passed around notes and said I didn't belong and left me out of things and mm-hmm. I didn't have any friends. And so I always was jealous or compared myself to people that had friends because since that was such a core wound from my childhood, it was something that always triggered me. So I dealt with it. Like I got some help and I healed a lot of those wounding around women and not feeling like I fit in. And as I healed that and changed my story about it and stopped carrying around that pain, then lo and behold, I started really making a lot of friends and really being invited into things. And now when I see women supporting each other and kind of the clicky thing, I'm just happy for everybody because I have my own group that I feel like I belong to and I fit into. So there's no more comparison or jealousy there. Right. That's that's really fascinating just because I I do think you mentioned, you know, you have to, you're 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 triggered by it also because something in your past was happening with it. And it's, you know, I I I notice this a lot when people go work and it's like, well, I'm not part of like the lunch group, you know, like this group of women always walk to lunch together or they always do this or that and it's like you know, one part of you is like, why do you care? And the other part's like, oh, wait, actually, maybe it's because, you know, at another part in your life, like you were triggered by that because yep. nobody sat with you at lunch, whatever, you know, like you can exactly. probably actually determine what that was. Okay, let's switch a little. It's not a huge switch, but let's talk about inner critic because I know that the inner critic can be so loud in your own head. And what does it take to silence that naysayer's voice? And, and why is that important, especially for your career success? Oh, those inner critics. I've had (laughs) such a battle with mine over the years, but I've really come to love and accept her. And that's where I'm going to start in terms of answering this question. And it is the same way I started with comparison. You love and accept your inner critic. Anything we resist persists. That's not a saying for no reason. It's a saying because it's true. And the thing about the inner critic is that it actually thinks it's helping you. Like that part of you She actually thinks she's helping you because think about it. When you're critical of yourself, you often are more more motivated. Mm -hmm. When you're harder on yourself than anyone else ever could be, then it doesn't hurt if someone is as hard on you. And so there's a, there was this part of this inner critic that thinks it's serving us, that thinks it's protecting us. So criticizing the inner critic just is going to send you down a downward spiral because First you feel the inner critic come up, then you criticize the inner critic, and it's just like a criticism party. (laughs) So it's way better to accept it and go, oh, wow, to observe it again. How we break patterns, the number one way we start to break patterns is observe when we get in them before the downward spiral starts. Mm -hmm. So how I've worked with my inner critic is, so let's say that after this interview, I hung up and I said, oh, I stumbled over my words. I didn't sound smart. That was stupid. Blah, 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 blah. Let's just say my inner critic really reared her mm-hmm. protective head. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I could go, oh, hello, inner critic. Hello. There you are helping to try and protect me. I understand that you come up because you're committed to me doing the best I can. So how about we just kind of take on more of a coach role? I want to promote you to be a coach rather than just a critic. And we say, you know what? I did the best I could. And I'm going to re-listen to the interview and ask myself how I could do even better. 
So notice in that I didn't go from beating myself up to saying, I nailed it. I'm the best podcast interviewer ever. Like I I didn't jump to being a cheerleader, right? I didn't jump to all of a sudden affirming myself in a colossal way because the brain and the psyche that you can't make that big of a pendulum swing. So the way you work with the inner critic is you, you just promote it a little to the inner coach and you see if you can just be a bit nicer, a bit kinder so that it starts to shift. And the more you observe it and talk to that part of yourself rather than just letting it run its course or trying to just criticize the inner critic to get it to go away, the more you're going to have a relationship with it that doesn't feel as self-defeating. Right, right. I love that you like have named her, you know, she's your coach, not your cheerleader. I mean, I think, I mean, whatever it takes for the psyche to like kind of get around the fact that this is like a real voice that you have to, you're not going to hundred percent silence it, but you can work with it. I think that's a really great tip because that's something all of us could do, you know? And I mean, you could even put it into your planner every day is like, you know, what is, I don't know, you know, Mary telling me today or something like that, which is, do you find that with your clients, you, you talked about like reflecting, do you think that is something that is helpful to do is like, if you're keeping a work journal or a planner to like reflect on, you know, let's say your inner critic is Mary, like what Mary is telling you, or I guess in your head about. Yeah. There's something in in my book, Expectation Hangover, that I call starting an observation journal. Mm -hmm. And this is something that's been recommended by lots of psychologists and spiritual teachers because What's important to to realize is that we have all these different parts inside of us and the inner critic is not actually you. It's not your authentic voice. It's just a part of you. It's an adaptive part of you that was developed as a kid to learn good, bad, right, or wrong. Like as a kid, you had to learn, all right, it's not good to scream my head off in a restaurant. It's not good to go to the bathroom in my pants. It's not good (laughs) to just shove cookies in my mouth. I'm going to get in trouble for that. So the inner critic was formed at a young age. We can call it the inner critic or inner judge, either one of those things. And so it's a developmental part of us because it's how we learn to discern good, bad, right, or wrong. The problem is, for most of us, it's just way, way overdeveloped. Our judgment is way overdeveloped in life rather than like our intuition. More of us are taught in school, good, bad, right, or wrong, how to succeed, da, 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 da. We're taught more judgment. Very few of us are taught how to really deeply listen to your intuition and your inner wisdom and your inner voice. So most of us have these really strong minds that are very strongly promoted, that are very strongly voiced to the inner critic. And so it's knowing that that's just a part of us. And so in keeping an observation journal, it's almost like you become a scientist observing yourself and you track daily how often the inner critic came up, what it was criticizing you about, how you responded to it. And the more you witness it and the more you observe it rather than get wrapped up in it, the more you can separate it out as a voice and a part of you that you can actually work with. Oh, that's so fascinating. I'm going to start doing that. And uh, I'm going to have to think of a better name than Mary, but I <laughs> I really, really like that. Okay, let's switch minor gears to talk about envy and jealousy as it relates to work and coworkers. So what should you do if you feel jealous of another coworker's success? Like they got the promotion, the boss clearly likes them more than you. They seem to, you know, have a better client relationship or they got the big sales quota deal. Like what, what can you actually do when you're like that physical feeling in you is like, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous and I'm so envious of this person. And yet Mm -hmm. I know I should probably be happy. Like you don't know how to react. You know, one part of you is like, I want to give her the silence treatment the rest of the day. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I think the first part is get the feelings out. Mm-hmm. Like go for a run, journal, scream in your car, hit a pillow, like let yourself just be like mad about it first. <laughs> let yourself just get the yucky feelings of jealousy out because jealousy is a yucky feeling, you know? And yeah. it's like a little mix of anger and disgust and hurt and shame. There's a lot mixed up in the jealousy. So that's the first thing I would say. It's just like, again, we're back to step one, accept, mm-hmm. <laughs> accept it <clears throat> be like, all right, here's the jealousy. Here it is. Let me work with it. Let me get the energy out. And then what can I learn from it? Mm-hmm. So similar to comparison, anybody that we're jealous of is often reflecting back on qualities that we're not seeing inside ourselves. The other thing is they may be triggering someone from our past. Like I noticed that people I was jealous of often reminded me of people from my past that may have hurt me. Or that may have like left me or that may have um, betrayed me in some ways. So sometimes a good question to ask is who does this person remind me of? Like what are they triggering inside of me? Mm -hmm. And that's the inner work. And then the outer work, this is one thing that's worked really well for me in jealousy, especially in my professional world, is I'd look at other people kind of in my business and they were just, you know, doing great. And instead of being jealous of them, I'd befriend them. I'd be like, wow, this person is doing really well. I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to like be their friend and ask them questions. And instead of separating myself from them by jealousy, I'm going to actually see if I can become their friend and learn some things. And who knows, maybe I'll have some things to contribute to them too. So if somebody at work is really doing well and seems like the star, maybe instead of separating yourself from that person, congratulate them. Say, hey, you're doing really great. I'd love to take you out to lunch and just talk to you about how you work and your mindset and, you know, how you go through your day and how you handle this such and such client or how you juggle da 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 Like get to know them, ask them questions. It's also really proactive to speak to your supervisor and say, hey, I'm really excited that Kristen got promoted. I, I'd like to to learn a little bit about what it takes to get promoted here. Can you tell me a little bit about like what I can do? Mm-hmm. so that I can move forward in my career. So instead of being a victim and just sitting in a stew of jealousy and judging the other person and making them wrong and making yourself wrong and just all that, how can you really be proactive inwardly by learning the lessons and then outwardly by taking action that brings you closer to that person rather than pushes them away? Right. Absolutely. And I, I think that's great advice too, because if you're going up for the promotion against another person and they get it, of course you're going to be maybe disappointed. But you know, within 24 to 48 hours, can you, you know, congratulate them, be a good sport, and also recognize like I have something to learn from them. And I think that's a really great way to remind people like you know it, it wasn't your turn this time, but it will be your turn another time too. And I think that's just sometimes hard when you when you want something so badly and your expectations, you know, as your book expectation hangover, like you know the the expectation the bubble is popped, you know, and now you have to exactly. kind of figure out how to how to move on with that. Well, Christine, this has been super helpful. I mean. You had promised that you had a cure for overcoming the comparison trap, and you sure do. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing that with everybody. And I'd love for you to let the listeners know where can they find you if they have follow-up questions or want to learn more about um, your practice. Sure. I, and I'll answer that. The one thing I just want to say is uh, comparison and jealousy was something I struggled with a lot in my life. So trust me, this stuff really, really works. This isn't just – some ideas that I thought of, like this is stuff that I've had to navigate a lot in my life. And 
oh my gosh, it's so much better to live comparison and jealousy free and just be so excited when people succeed and know that there's enough for everybody and know that it's an abundant universe. It's such a more like a less anxiety producing way to live. So you can free yourself from it and you don't free yourself from it by like trying to be more successful or trying to be better and trying to just like compete with everyone and be better than everyone. So you don't feel jealous. Yeah. You do it by a lot of the things we talked about. So if you want to connect more with me, one of the best places to do it is my over and on with it podcast, especially if this personal growth work is resonating with you and you're like, Oh, I need to do some of this, but I don't really know how right in the podcast. I coach people live on the air. So you really get to understand psychology and personal growth work and hear live unscripted, unproduced, unscreened coaching sessions between me and someone I don't know. Oh, I love that. That's so yeah, gutsy of so you. Way. <laughs> yeah, I've done 186 episodes so Whoa. far and they're all amazing. We talk about everything, money, relationships, career, real stuff with your parents, insecurity, self-sabotaging behavior. I mean, there's really nothing we haven't discussed on the show. So that's a good place. Instagram is my favorite social media platform. And then if you want to take my free coaching assessment, you can go to christinehassler.com. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Hey there, let's take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, LinkedIn. You all know how much I love LinkedIn, right? Whether I've been a job searcher, a recruiter, or a business owner, I've always relied on LinkedIn and have gotten a ton of value out of the platform. And speaking of relying on LinkedIn, can we chat about hiring for your business? Hiring is definitely not as simple as putting a posting for your job in your local newspaper or even using a university's job board. And to make it more challenging, most job posting services make it hard to know who's really applying for your jobs and what their specific skills are. When it's time to hire, you naturally want to reach the right people for your job and quickly because running a business already means that you have a lot on your plate and you're juggling a ton and hiring and spending tons of hours trying to hire is not something you need to add to that plate. And odds are the right person for your job is on LinkedIn. With more than 650 million members visiting each day, LinkedIn is the go-to resource for people to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities. In fact, LinkedIn members add 15 new skills to their profile and apply to 35 job posts every two seconds. I know, I was shocked by that too. And those skills that people add to their profiles are also what helps LinkedIn make sure your job postings get in front of people who meet your role requirements. Skills like collaboration, adaptability, and more. By using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you can trust in the quality of the job posting process and the candidates. Start building your dream team today. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash females. Again, that's linkedin.com slash females to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. All right, now let's get back to the show. All right, it's that time in the show when we hear real voicemails left by you, our dear listeners, and do our best to give you some real talk career advice. And to help, I've invited Kayleen Cajas, our content director at Career Contessa, to also give her two cents. Welcome, Kayleen. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So let's have you briefly introduce yourself to the listeners. Cool. So my name is Kayleen Cajas, like uh, Lauren already told you. I'm, I pretty much manage the content at Career Contessa, so everything from 
the weekly articles you see to um, some of the behind the scenes stuff with uh, Instagram and pretty much anything that needs to be written mm-hmm. we're yeah. working on. The downloadable resources. Uh, those yes. are all Kayleen. <laughs> and Kayleen joined us in October, so it hasn't even been a year yet. No, not yet, but... Time is flying. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming up. It's coming up. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, today's voicemail is all about job searching from another state, so let's listen in. Hi, Lauren, and hi, everyone at Career Contessa. Uh, my name is Madeline. I am a recent college grad currently living in Chicago. I just got my degree in communications and media. Uh, my dream has always been to move out to New York City, uh, but I'm finding it really difficult trying to apply for positions in a city where you don't live. So I wanted to know if you had any advice for applying remotely to jobs in a different city. Thank you so much. Okay. This, I feel like, is a pretty popular question. People who are living one place and want to move to another city, but like all of us, they probably want to have a job in hand when they move. So, Madeline, we hear you. Your question's pretty popular. And I know, Kayleen, you've job searched from other places before. So let's start with your advice. So, Madeline, you're on the right track to begin with. I remember when I actually moved from New York to San Francisco, I did so without a job, which is... Maybe not the most advisable. So what I would say from the get-go is to just start early. Obviously, the job search process, as everyone knows, is can be long. It can be a lot of work. It can be – it's not rewarding, really, because it's, you know, slogging all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so my main advice would be to start early. And, and that, I think, is good advice for anyone, even if you're not job searching yet. It's just always – kind of checking in with yourself, performing weekly evaluations, always examining your strengths and weaknesses. And then when you're rolling more into like actively looking for a job, it's connecting with people who are in New York. It's connecting with companies, maybe even companies that have branches in Chicago and New York. Yeah. So you can connect with people in Chicago and then kind of funnel those relationships into New York. It's about just becoming familiar. And then from there, it's, you know, going forth and doing that job search. Yeah. I know when I was looking, I was living in Portland. I knew I was moving to LA and, you know, again, I wanted to move with a job in hand. One of the things I did before is I made sure my resume looked great and my LinkedIn looked great. And Madeline, for you, since you're in media, I would also encourage you to have an online site that showcases examples of your work. So having all those things set up first and really polished and ready to go. And then the other thing I think that was really helpful is, especially since you know you want to move to New York, maybe go to New York a couple times before you officially move. I mean, I think it's actually really helpful to have kind of a deadline when you're moving just because everyone will say, so when are you moving here? So if you know that, great. But even if you're starting early, I know I came to LA, I had like two two-day trips where I basically came down and I tried to set up as many meetings as possible with people at the companies that I thought were really amazing and just had informational interviews with them. I wasn't like overly like, hey, give me a job, give me a job, give me a job, because most people won't do that. So having those informational interviews allows you to build relationships in a new city before you're there as well. The other thing that I I think we get asked a lot related to this is more on like the technical parts of like, well, I live in Chicago, but I want a job in New York on my or on my LinkedIn. Can I say that I live in New York City? I don't see anything wrong with that. (laughs) I know it's a little bit of a white lie, but what I would do is then in your summary is say, you know, I'm looking to move to New York by spring 
2019 or summer 2020 or whatever it is, because I think you want to be specific and I think you want to not be available for those opportunities if they come your way. But so I don't see anything wrong with that. I'm sure someone disagrees with that, but I'm okay with it. So our controversial stance is that you can change your LinkedIn to the city of your dreams. (laughs) I think so. I mean... Especially if you're you truly are serious about moving there. So I, I think what's important here is that you're not just like dreaming of New York. It, like I said, if you can at least put a timeline, like I my goal is to move there by this season or this month. I think that's actually helpful because I know when I was recruiting a lot, people would say, "Well, what are you guys looking for?" And I would always go back and say, "Well, what are you looking for?" So the more you can tell us what you're looking for, or what your timeline is, as you said, Kayleen, like networking with a company in Chicago that maybe has a New York office you know, just being like, I'm open to moving to New York, people can't really do as much with that information as they can with I'm moving to New York that summer. I think there's also maybe a little bit of a placebo effect when you change your own LinkedIn to say New York, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm actually doing this. Yeah. I'm making this publicly known. Right. I know also we talked about the fact that some job postings will say local candidates only. So make sure you read the fine print on job postings as well. But the other thing, when you do apply for jobs and you send in your resume, fill out those applications, in your cover letter, address the fact that I currently live in Chicago, you know, and here's why I'm moving to New York. Because I actually think that people are open to people moving and not afraid of that per se. But if they don't know, they can make up their own storyline. Like, is she really moving? Is she not moving? But if you're like, I'm moving there, my goal or my dream has always been to live in New York or I work in media and the best media company, like you can also, you know, flatter them too. I also think anywhere in your cover letter or your LinkedIn or maybe even your resume, anywhere where you can kind of insert a story about yourself that sets you apart, even if that story is, you know, it's been my dream to work in communications, specifically in New York, whenever you can kind of infuse a story in those documents that can otherwise be pretty black and white, it's really compelling to um, hiring managers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And lastly, stay consistent. I mean, as you said, first thing is that job searches can be long and a little bit arduous, but If you start early and you stay consistent with trying to build relationships with people in New York, even when they cancel the phone call with you, you you reschedule it, you go to New York, you try your best to network and get to know people like if you're consistent with doing, you know, putting time into your job search every single week, it can absolutely happen. We actually have an article. I'll put this in the show notes of a, a woman. She wrote the article for us for Career Contessa, and she moved from Minnesota, I think, to San Francisco. And everyone told her there's no way you're going to get a job in San Francisco because it's, you know, a big job market and there's a ton of talented people there. Everyone said there's no way you can do it from Minnesota. And she did. And she wrote about it. So, you so, know, they're so wrong. There. So there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any other last advice? Uh, Madeline, once you get to New York, enjoy the bagels (laughs) and the pizza. (laughs) Oh, man. Yes. Very important advice. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you guys want to leave us a voicemail, we'd absolutely love that. Just call 844-FEMALES. Again, 844-FEMALES, which ends up being uh, 844-336-2457. And we'll be back next Tuesday with the Skim co-founder. So there's a company in New York you can try to work for. The Skim co-founders, Carly Zakin and Danielle Weisberg, to chat about leadership. But until then, you can follow us on at Career Contessa on Instagram. Share this episode with your work wives and Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast. And listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. 
The other thing I've been thinking about a lot is sometimes when I see average managers, the way that they're approaching management is much closer to mentorship, where it's like being there for someone in the big picture, but not necessarily coaching them through the day to day or showing them, you know, what are things they could be doing better.